are listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural perspective. This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes Store. Good morning. This is Meg Riley in Minneapolis, where it just stopped snowing a minute ago. Ah, it's been beautiful all week, though. I'm excited to bring another pandemic episode of The View and uh, looking forward to exciting conversation today. But meanwhile, let's have the regulars say hello. And I just want to welcome back our host, Antonio, who's been in intensives for a few weeks. We missed you. Uh, oh, thank you. Michael. Good morning, everyone. This is Michael Tino joining you from uh, rainy, beautiful Peekskill, New York, where uh, my cherry tree that I planted last year is about to bloom. So there will be pictures on Facebook. Join me there. <laughs> uh, Aisha, how are you doing? Um, I'm Aisha Hauser. I'm in Seattle. It's sunny today and it's going to be maybe in the 60s. And so now when more and more people are coming out, it's like, I think if somebody looked from the sky, it's like a video game. Because as soon as people start seeing people, they either go across the street or the middle of the street. And then if other people are coming, it's, it's, um, it, it continues to be surreal here in Seattle. So Christina Rivera, how are you? That reminds me of the video game Frogger. Um, that's what it sounds like. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Rivera. I'm coming to you from Charlottesville, Virginia, where uh, we are full on into Virginia spring, which means yesterday it was in the 80s and tomorrow it will be in the 50s. Um, it's just the way we do it here in, in uh, Virginia. So happy to be here with everybody. And let's see, Antonia. Hi, I'm in Delaware. It is drizzly today. It's been a little drizzly for the last couple of days, but we did have a beautiful spring day. I think it was, I don't know what day it is. It's Thursday because I'm here. I don't know when the spring day was. It was glorious. <laughs> and I'll be here. I'll be in the chat on YouTube, passing the messages along to people. So please go ahead and chat with us. This is going to be an interesting topic and I can't wait to hear what we all have to say. Alrighty. So this morning, we are so uh, excited and honored to have uh, members of the Commission on Institutional Change. And they will talk about how their process informs where the association is now in terms of the current pandemic that we are in. So Leslie, Ta Reverend Leslie Takahashi is the chair of the committee. And Leslie, I'll start with you and you all can introduce yourselves and then we'll get right into it. Um, good morning. It's good to be with all of you. Um, I, I will say that I think probably what's most relevant for today is um, that I've been serving as the chair of the commission. Um, and I'm also, um, we are now in our fifth week of being in sheltering in place. Um, so I've also been serving as um, a parish minister in that capacity. And um, we are getting close to hitting our peak here. So that's that's my context for being here today. So thanks for having us. Natalie, Reverend Natalie, Reverend Dr. Natalie Fenimore. Good morning. Um, I'm a member of the commission. I've enjoyed being on the commission for the last three years, working with really great and wonderful people. 
I serve um, as a part of the ministry team at the UU Congregation at Shelter Rock on Manhasset, uh, Long Island, New York. So we are in the center of um, the hotspot uh, peak area. And it's it's been a challenge, but also it's been great to see people come together to try to help each other be uh, the community that we need to be in this time. So, um, and uh, Mary Byron. Good morning. Um, I'm Mary Byron. I'm also a member of the uh, the commission and I'm coming to you from momentarily sunny Montana, but the snow is expected to come soon. Um, and we are probably a month behind where the coasts are in terms of um, in terms of feeling the impact and the and the spread here in the rural part of the country. So um, we've been sewing masks madly for the last couple of weeks. Well, thank you for that. So Leslie, we'll start with you. Do you want to name the commissioners who aren't here today and then start talking about how? So you you all had been coming to the end of your process, ready to hand in your report, and then a global pandemic hits. Right. Thank you. Yes, I'll, and I'll do this quickly, but we are missing, and um, but we know they're with us in spirit and certainly have informed our work and conversations. Uh, Sir Labert and Elias um, or Aponte Ortega, and um, he has. They have both been very critical to our team. This has been the we've been the core of five working. Uh, we decided last summer that we needed to actually distill all of our learnings into a report. Um, which the way that reports do, it kind of grew a little bit over time. So in the middle of this start of the pandemic, actually, one of the things that has been happening is that we've been trying to get our final edits together so that we can have this report ready to release at General Assembly. And um, I say that sort of in a joking way, but it's also been a, a bit of a pressure to try to get, uh, try to find the concentration to get through the final edit. I literally locked myself in uh, a room on Monday and wouldn't allow myself to uh, leave. And I'm sheltering place by myself. So I had to have that discipline, right? To lock myself in to get the report edits back to, to Skinner House so that we can get it out. Um, but so we are actually in the process of reviewing the report and we look forward to appreciate the space on the view to talk about various aspects of it um, in future in future weeks. So that's where we are. Thank you. Natalie, do you want to talk about how um, the response to this time has impacted your work or how you all, your discussions as a commission? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, at this point, um, the commission wants to lift up um, the fact that we have spent the last three years in a lot of conversations with a lot of groups in Unitarian Universalism. We aren't doing any of our work in isolation. We've tried to be extremely transparent and to be clear about the theological basis for all of our work and how we are we're just we're making the assumption that our movement wants to be liberative wants to have justice wants to have equity and then we're going forward from that place in our conversations with everybody incorporating the learnings and the stories from as many people as possible in our work so trying to build a really broad base of understanding for who we are as Unitarian Universalists and who we wanna go forward. Now at this moment, the commission is also trying to incorporate this moment. Like what if all of we've done for three years prepare us to talk about at this moment where we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and aware that the pandemic is now showing our inequities. 
right? And the ways in which there is not justice, there is not equality, it's showing now, you know, who is being asked to, to be at risk? Who is being asked to keep things going while other people can work from home, can shelter from place? Who is being unemployed? Who is getting sick and dying? Right? So you can see all of what we've been talking about and exploring for this period you know, in our commission's work. So we're calling for our individuals, our institutions, our associations, our congregations to look at this moment with that understanding through that lens of what we hope to be and where we're falling short. You know, our, our, our congregations, our association, our country, our whole world, you can see now in front of us the consequences of our inequity, of our inequality, of our lack of justice. Seeing that, what are we called to to prepare for how we come out of this and how we move forward in more just ways? If we don't, if we aren't consciously making decisions to change now, to repair now, then it will not happen. We will end up doing this again and again and again. So this is a moment. And so the commission is, is asking that our report, our information contribute to the decisions that we are making, large and small, that will help us to not be in this position again, right? How are we gonna support people who have now hit the bottom, how are we gonna support them, those, those individuals and those communities as we rebuild going forward? Because it is a rebuilding that's gonna happen. And in that, in that repair and reparations, how are we going to align ourselves with the justice that we say Unitarian Universalism is? You know, and, and so, um, we're hoping that our work contributes to that conversation, but more contribute, contributes to that action. We can't just be in conversation constantly, you know? So we are in the report putting forward recommendations. We are not um, in a position to insist, to direct, to make anyone, to order anyone to do anything but we are in a position to shine a light on what are our moral choices? What are the ethical standards of Unitarian Universalists in this moment? So um, that is the conversation that we're hoping to have, but a conversation that moves towards action because if it doesn't, then this is a waste of time. What stands out the most? What What is the, so to me, and I think we, I think we all, recognize that in some in a lot of ways unitarian universalism is a microcosm of the united states so what what is what are some recommendations and action items that the three of you would like to um happen would like to happen sooner than later like an, that that is that is within our control that is our being the uua or unitarian universalists mm -hmm. well i can say one thing and then i'll turn it over but um I do think that it's been wonderful to see the UUA come up with an emergency fund, which I think is, is a wonderful thing. But we would ask that that emergency fund be targeted 
that we have to realize that there are some communities that are more and some individuals that are more affected than others and they should be the priority. So the question is not just how that we help because we should and that everybody needs some help, but we need to be clear that we need to prioritize people who have experienced the most loss and who will have the lowest capacity to recover without help. So I think that's the first thing is for us to understand that it isn't a question of saying that other people, these people are more important than those people. That's not the question. It's that these people need the most help. And that shouldn't, that that should just be something that we do um, out of justice. And and I would add to that that the work that we've been doing is listening to a lot of people, you know, um, over this three-year period, talk about the need to 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 enlarge the circle of Unitarian Universalism and to really remind ourselves who the we really is. And this is a time when, if there's ever been a time, we have to do that. We have to remember that it's it's not a series of false dichotomies. It's not false binaries or choices. It's, you know, yes, the care and comfort of everybody because everybody is stressed and frightened during these times and everybody's health is at risk. We're seeing that now. It's not just a specific group. We're seeing all kinds of demographics that we didn't expect, like what's happening to people in their 20s and 30s and, you know, what's happening to, to people that are in, in other forms of essential work, such as working in grocery stores, not just medical people. And so I think it's important for us to to broaden that circle of concern and really to be thinking about it in terms of how we respond. Uh, it, there's no reason why we can't keep ourselves safe, keep, keep our loved ones safe, and also be really concerned about everybody that's being affected, and especially those that are most affected by this. And, and one thing I want to add about that is I think that we We've got a lot of people that are sitting now. Uh, again, I want to remind, I, I want to say to people that I'm in the California context. We have been sheltering for a really long time now. So we're in a little different place than other people are. So, but you know, when you're going into your fourth week, when you're going into your third week, you know, things that start to set in, like you start to get a little bored with the routines. Um, you've you've cleaned everything you can clean. You know, you I, I personally haven't because it's been a stressful time, but other people have, you know, it's a time we could actually be learning about one another too. We don't have to just be sitting in our own concern. What a great time to look at what's happening in our nation and to think about it as a, a chance for learning uh, and and not not just to think about care and comfort, but also the the learning. Um, what does it mean that this disease is is hitting Black people at such a high rate? That African Americans, because of health disparity, are hit at such a high rate. How are we calling that to um, people's attentions? You know, what are who's thinking about those children in those camps at the border? You know, how are we how are we reflecting on that? And within our own structures, you know. Within our own structures of employment, either even as institutions that employ people, how are we looking at those questions? So there's lots of ways we could be learning right now um, that are really important to think about. I'm curious, um, and I love that we have religious educators here. Um, what opens that learning versus what shuts people into fear? As you're talking, I'm remembering that I ended up. Uh, in charge of three and a half million dollars after Hurricane Katrina. And I took a lot of calls from furious white people 
that we were supporting them instead of us by putting it into the communities that were literally dying then. And uh, it was it was actually a horrible time when I really could barely stand to be a UU. Um, and so I, I hope that since then, a whole lot of learning has taken place and that, you know, with things like the wonderful folks here who sparked the white supremacy teaching and just the learning that there will be less of that. But I'm curious if we want to encourage that <laughs> compassion and empathy and understanding of interdependence, uh, where the commission would encourage people to turn right now to, to build on that. I'd like to actually ask Mary Byron to address that because one of the things Mary did with the commission was talk not only to people that have already intentionally started to educate themselves as white people, but also to really monitor people who were not comfortable. So I'm gonna ask Mary to respond. I think this is a great moment to really be, be paying attention to what's happening in your local community and at the state level. And I think that's where so many of the decisions are being made around, um, do you have eviction moratoriums? Do you have shutoff moratoriums? Do you have, and that will, you know, looking at what's happening and how people are being impacted directly in your community and you know in your local area is one of the best places to learn that. We spend a lot of time talking with people about how to be engaged with community partners, right? Even though your congregation may not meeting, we're physically distant, but we're not socially distant. We need to stay socially engaged with the community partners that we've had. So reaching out, understanding what are the challenges they're facing, you know, what are the ways in which um, you can be helpful. Just sort of seeing there's a need and wondering, you know, asking how can you, how can you be a part of, um, of filling that need? Can you break that down even a little bit more, Mary? Like, what would people Google to start doing that locally? How uh, how would somebody just go from here to there, even a step? Um, so Google a bail fund. Right, right now jails are a terrible source of you know, a, a place where there's, you know, great risk of infection and spread. And so Google a bail fund, find out if there's one, you know, in your area that you can contribute to because they're very active trying to get people out to um, at this moment in time. I think you could, um, I think all of the, if you have a state action network, right, those have been very active in terms of where you can be advocating for the right kinds of um, relief um, for, uh, for um, for things that are happening in your state. Um, if you don't, you can uh, follow along. Every state has an emergency um, management in place now. So you can follow along with what's going on in your state and look for the things that they're, that they're doing or not doing in terms of releasing people from the prisons and jails. Um, what are they doing with unemployment and um, increasing unemployment benefits? Um, your local food bank. What is your local food bank doing, right? Those are places of enormous need. We've been sewing masks. People sometimes want to pay us and we're saying, please don't, you know, donate that to the food bank because they also know who are the people in your community who are most in need and, uh, and, and will be able to help them. What are some um, responses that maybe aren't happening you'd like to see, whether from congregations or the denomination? So I think one thing that we're, we know is that we're gonna come out into a totally different world than the one we left a couple weeks ago, right? It's not gonna be the same world. And 
there are, they just, there was just a story. I saw the headline as I was getting ready this morning, 6.6 more people out of work, right? Just reported in this last month. Uh, We're going to see a structural shift that is so, so dramatic. And we already know that that will be on top of the greatest structural inequities that we've seen for a long time in our society. So we're going to be seeing a lot of structural inequity. And I think that we need to be looking at the issue of structural inequity, not only as a societal issue culturally outside in the broad, the greater society of our nation, but within our own institutions. We need to look at how our pay structures are, are, are focused. Do, are we actually ensuring that everybody can have a, a living wage or are we prioritizing and prefer, acting preferentially towards a certain group of people? And I think we, need, we know that, we know the answer to that. And this is the time we have to look at that, right? We have to look at, are we allowing people to actually all survive or do we have a structure that is, um, is intentionally privileging certain groups? I mean, I think that's a hard question, but I, it's one that the commission work has made me look at. I've started talking to the board about the differential between our salaries. I took a salary cut. There's lots of things that I'm trying to do to ensure now. I'm just beginning, but just trying to think about it. I think these are issues we have to think about. As the other issue that I think, um, and I and if Sir were here, now I want to say Sir has been remarkable in educating us about um, really keeping us focused on this issue of reparations. We'll be talking about that with you in future uh, weeks specifically as it pertains. But in this particular time, you know, we're sitting, some of our institutions are sitting on money that's there for the a rainy day. Folks, I got to tell you, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And one thing we've been talking about as a commission is what, what rainier day are we going to see? We have people dying at incredible rates and particularly within certain groups. Um, what is that money sitting there for? What is it that would be actually a rainy day? Uh, we know through our work over the last three years that we need structural, structural reform at a very deep level. We have an opportunity and a choice coming out of this pandemic to start to make those choices in the ways that we come into this new emerging world. One of the things I was surprised to learn is that um, when, when we didn't have a minister for nine months and then we hired one is that ministers actually have a whole different contract that includes healthcare and this congregation is not mandated to offer health care for the rest of the staff. So that, that was an interesting learning yeah. for me. Well, you know, that, that I would just say, these are the ways in which we're asking congregations to be clear, because that is not true. That is actually illegal. Interesting. Right? Yes. Because we were yes. told because yes. the minister is no, an no, 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 contractor. No, 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 <laughs> no. I think we should be clearer about our understandings our congregations are many things. They are faith communities. They're also employers. And they should be educated to be good employers, not only to do what is legal, but to do what is right and just, which are not the same things, but to do those things and to be able to do them well. I guess I, um, perhaps, having grown up in the inner city of Detroit, I do not see this as a time that will change the world unless we make it so. People, people will go back to being who they have been as soon as they can do it. People who are well off will not experience this in the same way and will go back to, being, to having their lives if they can 
and most of them will be able to. The number of wealthy people who left the congestion of New York City for their second homes somewhere else where they could continue their lives has contributed to the spread of this virus in New York State, Connecticut and New Jersey, Maine. There, there are retired second home communities that are trying to close themselves off because they have been infected by people who felt they could go and live they, in the comfort. People are dying in congestion that they cannot get out of, not just in the US, but in the world. We have had this, you know, things before. New York was supposed to be a different place. America was supposed to be a different place after 9-11 because we all came together. We did not. We did not. So I think that believing that in and of itself, this time will make the changes is not, um, that's not reality. We can learn from these times to how to make the changes and commit to making the changes. But in and of itself, it will not happen. You know, so looking at the inequalities in our congregations, seeing that some of our congregations will suffer more because they don't have the resources. Some of our staffs will suffer more because the congregations don't have the resources. Um, you know, we have people now who, at my congregation, we have people who are childcare staff. There is no childcare, there is no building open. And we were, we were, in a position to continue to employ them, but some congregations will have to make that decision. People will have to decide if they are willing to support people who have been with them in their congregations. Will congregations set up relief funds for people who have lost their jobs? Will they help people to find housing? Will they help them pay their bills? Will they help them get their groceries? Will they be aware now that communities where there are food deserts, people could not get food now, right? So look around your community and see where the holes are because they are very apparent. And then figure out ways to organize your communities and your congregations to fill those holes, right? Do we have programs that will help people to have bus services in their area, to have supermarkets in their area, to have investments in their area, to have jobs in their area so people don't have to risk their lives commuting out to West Hell because that's where they have, that's where the jobs are, not in their neighborhoods, right? I regularly see a bus going through my neighborhood that has one or two people in it, right? Those are people who have to get to work and a driver who has to take them because they're, they're I'm deeply suburban. There are no actual jobs for people here, you know, who have to work with their hands. They have to go somewhere else. So the ways in which we are structured. And I think um, we also need to look at the fact about how quickly um, some of our environmental um, pollution issues were, were, <laughs> were actually able to be solved if people could just stop polluting. We have evidence now that the water can be cleared up if you just get out of it. <laughs> you know, the air can be breathable if you just stop, you know, just to see how, so, so some of the things that we thought we didn't know, we now know, we now see. And the question is, can we build a structure in our congregations that support keeping our eyes open? 
to those realities and moving into to working on them in some way. It's not a, you know, it's not like unknown anymore. And to add to that really good list, um, you know, we need a conversation about universal health care. And, you know, we're, why are we not having that conversation right now? If there was ever a time that we could see the, you know, what the impacts of disparate healthcare uh, systems are, this is it. We're seeing it. We're seeing it in those numbers every single morning that greet us. And why are we not having that conversation? You know, I think for Unitarian Universalists, there are barriers and they're mostly in our, in our mind. And, you know, I, I would um, say that Elias and Natalie would help has helped me see over time. They're also in the way that we interpret what our faith means. And one of those barriers is that we don't really truly embrace this idea of the value of all people. Our first and seventh principles, which we say we hold, the, you know, our pillar principles are the ones that we hold dear. You know, this is a time when we can really think about who is in that circle that we're drawing, right? Who is in that circle and who are we really caring about? I will tell you, it is not by putting other people in that circle, it does not exclude the people that are there. That is the piece that we're really struggling with to Meg's question, right? About how do we, you know, I, I will tell you as someone who's been running around um, helping our elders, helping our people that are, you know, in distress, doing spiritual guidance for people and also dropping off water for people that are unhoused, you know, it, dropping off food for people, you know, dealing with people that are having mental health crises, you know, helping people that have particular health concerns making sure that we have a community fund. There are lots of ways to help and it's not exclusive. It's not exclusive. We can do, we can actually broaden this circle. So that's, I think, a theological problem. And the other, the, this, the, the opportunity for us, and Natalie and I are always good at this, of seeing it as an opportunity or not, um, but the other opportunity for us is to truly embrace this idea of interdependence, right? Because we really are seeing if one community doesn't understand or doesn't have the resources to understand what this pandemic asks us to do, it affects every community, whether they do that from privilege or they do that because of a language barrier. We're housing you know, an asylum seeker on our campus and it has been very difficult to get that message across about distancing and physical distancing and what that means. And that's been a struggle for us because the communities don't have resources. Some of the communities don't have the same level of resources. So we need we need to understand that interdependence. Um, and I do want to mention, because it was my joy for yesterday, that my sister, who lives down uh, on a coastal community, they shut the beaches. And this is to Natalie's point about the environment. They shut the beaches. And in one day, one day, the beaches were covered with sea lions and seals that were all like, hey, we're back. Those humans are gone. I mean, it's amazing. And it was like the most uplifting photo to see my, my, she sent it to my mother, my sister. My mother was like, why did she send us a picture of fish? I'm like, no, mom, look at those. Those aren't fish. Those are large, large sea creatures lying on the beach, sunning themselves really happy. And it took one day for them to reclaim their space. And I think one of the, the questions that our congregations can be asking themselves is, I think we're seeing the success of congregations being able to congregate without having to be in a physical place mm -hmm. and still be in community. So what does it mean to, um, to take those resources that we were directing towards our physical walls and our physical churches that are often in suburban areas that aren't where, uh, where we're needed to actually be doing our ministry um, when this is over and move to areas in which we are needed to be doing our ministry. 
Um, and so, you know, what does it look like to to have a conversation about going into default on your <clears throat> congregational mortgage in order to redirect those resources to people who are unhoused, un, un, who need medical assistance now? What, if not now, when? You know, as you said, you know, <laughs> definitely raining. Um, so taking a look at those endowments and, you know, what are we really doing? What are we really saying? Who are we really okay with dying while we still have the beautiful sanctuary in the place that is hard to get to by local transit or that, that is completely empty and will be empty probably for several months? Who, who are we okay with sacrificing? in order to maintain that. I think it's important that we also look at who is in our community, who we don't see in the community of our congregations. I believe that we have this myth that Unitarian Universalists are very wealthy, very well-educated, housed, and it's a myth that we need to confront in our congregations and realize that we are of a community, not just you know, outside of the community. All of the people are in our community. And until we decide to actually see that and serve that and spread our resources in and outside of our community, we will not make change. Reverend Natalie, I was so happy to hear you talk about, yeah, things may not change because it's important to some people to stay the same. So it's, it's great to spread the hope that, oh, things will be different maybe things will be different maybe often things are the same because this is not the first thing that's happened to shake the world and say things need to be different so yeah yeah well and right. i keep yeah go michael i keep coming back to um you know stuff <laughs> that you said like 20 minutes ago <laughs> so it's, i'm sorry to like that this is mentally processing real slow in my head. But one of the things I heard you say that I just keep coming back to every time someone says something new is who do we mean when we say we? And that seems to be like a foundational question of what your commission has been looking at. You were just, you were looking at it inside Unitarian Universalism and now we're pushing that, <laughs> right? Because who we mean when we say we has to be bigger. And, um, you know, I think about Meg's question about the, the, the New Orleans Relief Fund earlier. And there was a failure. The, the pushback that Meg got was a failure of Unitarian Universalism to understand who we meant when we said we. That we were, we were raising money for our people did not mean for a specific privileged set of Unitarian Universalists, it meant for the people most vulnerable in the communities in and around New Orleans. Um, and they were part of we, it wasn't them. And so, you know, I serve a congregation in a New York City suburb too, right? So I wave to you from the northern, the northern suburbs of New York. Um, and you know, my folks need to grapple with that, right? So while we're inside and huddled around our Zoom and 
Uh, and thinking about that, if we're going to have a community fund, who is the we that gets to benefit from that community fund? Is it just the hundred members of the congregation? Or is it people who are most vulnerable in the communities that the congregation claims to serve and, and have a mission to? Um, I think this is a time when, when we need to be grappling with that question very fundamentally. You know, I want to say though, Michael, this has been what I try to have this conversation it is. Uh, so I'm here sheltered in place on Long Island. And there are assumptions about who has what on Long Island. Um, but I've got, a, I've got people who don't have very good internet service, who don't know how to Zoom, who don't, you know, they just don't, never had to, whatever. So I can say to them, okay, you've had a little bit about the experience of what it's like for the 300,000 New York City kids who don't have internet service and who cannot now receive any of the online education they're supposed to have, right? So I think we could get better internet service and better tech stuff out here in the greater New York area that would benefit them and you. I'm not saying, you know, there's so many ways in which the, as Leslie says, the either or thinking has to stop and people should be able to make those connections. I do think that's the call right now for us in Unitarian Universalist uh, religious leadership is to help people to make those connections. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And I mean, it's we, right? right? So better seeing high-speed internet service as a utility that everybody should have access to helps everybody. As everybody. Right? Or Having healthcare. Healthcare as a fundamental human right helps everybody. Right. It's, it's we. It is right. we. And I think that's really important for us to understand. And, you know, the other thing that we're seeing as we get deeper and deeper into this, and we've been working really hard, we have people that we have a whole team every time we have a Zoom offering and we have a couple a day, the team is there to help people that have never used a computer, you know, this, and they just sit there and get people on. And maybe the whole thing they do is get five more people on. But, but why I say that is because what we're actually finding again is it's a false dichotomy about who you serve. We are finding that our elders feel better served right now with virtual church than they felt with physical church because the effort to go to physical church at the point you know where they are physically is very difficult for them. I mean, again, these are false dichotomies. And so to, to the point that you know Christina is making, you know, our physical campus right now is housing uh, unhoused people in the parking lot, our family shelter in the our you know our asylum seeker in another in our RE building. I mean, there are ways we could be using our physical facilities as well in these times. There are needs that we're going to do a blood drive after the family shelter leaves. You know, there is an important thing that we need to be doing to help that we can be actually using our places. And I think what's important is for us not to be thinking about, we only have the energy to do one or the other, because that is not true, right? That is just absolutely fundamentally not true. We have our discretionary fund that we're helping our people, predominantly elders and young adults. Um, elders because they were already outliving their resources and this has made it worse. And young adults because they're, I mean, they're just losing their jobs, folks. And we need to re be rec you know, recognizing that. Um, and then we have our community virtual pantry, which is really easy to set up now because you can use eScript. 
And people, you can actually, people can make donations and you can just email people assistance. And it's really easy with no physical contact. So it's like, there's no reason to make these false decisions that we have to either help our people or we can help the wider community. It just, these are not real barriers. Mm-hmm. Or, or that we have to have either physical space or virtual space. I think we are now thinking about <clears throat> the combination that we'll have to have because I do feel, I do hear people longing to be together in a physical space at some point. Now, maybe it should not be all of the buildings that we now have. Maybe they are actually in the wrong places. Maybe we don't need to own them. Maybe we need to think more about rental. Maybe we need to be more uh, flexible spaces than we have, all sorts of things to consider. But I think we're asking at this moment for us to stop being locked into always feeling that it's this or this, when often it's a combination and, and we have to unlock our imagination. We, we have walled off um, our imagination about what Unitarian Universalism is. And in this moment, I think we can embrace a larger imagining of what we are, who we are, what we are called to do, who we are called to serve, all of this can be um, can be embraced in this moment and carried forward. So really, I think the whole uh, point of the commission and asking everybody to contribute and bringing your stories and tell us what you are is to, for us to really get a bigger picture of possibility than we've had before. And that doesn't um, mean that anybody is left out. It just means that more is put in, you know, and I think that if we can embrace that and hopefully that, you know, some people have said, after you've cleaned your house and done all this stuff, maybe you need to sit down and do some conscious, clear reflection on what it is that you want to have happen in the world after this moment. And then when the door, when you can step outside, then do that. Be prepared to do that. You know, this is actually the time to think, not after. That's the concern of the commission is if we wait too long, then at the end of the shelter in place, it's too late to have a plan. Because people will start, you know, the system that we know will start to to move back into its space. So we have to be ready now for when the door gets open with a plan of action. I wanted to interject um, uh, on the both and. I wanna be clear that uh, the people complaining to me about New Orleans were not the New Orleans congregations. They understood the interconnectedness of who they were and the communities they lived in. And I wanna be really clear that who was calling and yelling at me was people who weren't there, who had their opinions about what should be done there and what their money should buy, you know? And so I think the people who are connected and in relationship, uh, I think that's key. I think that's what you were saying, Mary. And of course, a pandemic's a hard time to build a new relationship, but I would hope a lot of our congregations are in relationships. And I wanted to lift up that um, 
Uh, Kiana Perkins posted that Blue is hosting a Babies and Bailout 2020 on April 26th, a call to action in this time. And so I know I'll be there. And, and those connections that have been being built between Unitarian Universalism and Southerners on New Ground and other uh, bailout groups are, are ones that we can all uh, be with. I think it's really important to remember that it's not just about even what we do when we come out, it's about what we're doing right now. And I wanna make sure that we're really clear. Uh, this is very important. The commission's had a lot of conversations about this, that our response now matters. Like, are we actually privileging the people? There are people among us who are in very serious trouble. And so, you know, another thing we've got to shift in our culture is it has to be okay to be real. It has to be okay to ask for help when you need it. We have to be able to do that and understand structural disparity and why some of these things happen and why, I mean, it is very important for us to be doing this now and not just um, in official ways. Like, you know, I think a lot of us are just trying to figure out who in our circle needs something and just give it to them, you know, and, you know, and, and just like, just make a contribution, just like say, oh, you need food? Okay, I'll put it on my cart when I go, you know, like, or whatever it is, you know, I think we, we really, we have to figure out, this is such a, it's such an important spiritual discipline right now to not just be thinking about our own health and safety, even though thinking about it again, it's a false dichotomy to say it's one or the other, right? I mean, there certainly are choices we could make that would endanger that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, um, you know, actually making a decision to be of service to somebody else right now, because there are people who are very much in, there are people who are losing their place of residence. There are people who never had a place of residence. There are people who have no idea how to get food. And we have got to be communicating to them that that care is care and comfort also. It's very critical right now. And be willing. The other thing we haven't said, we talked about buildings, but I want to talk about reserve funds and endowments. And that's all I want to say about it. But, you know, again, rainy day. What is a rainy day if it's not a pandemic? We're in a monsoon. This is a rainy day. I mean, I don't, yeah, we have an endowment in our congregation, and there's endowments all in congregations that are what, 30 people? There's a couple of those in New England. So I think that's a very important discussion that maybe the UUA can lead. What are some other action items that, so, so I think the restructuring of, what, what would a restructuring look like? Like what, I mean, let's imagine, I mean, universal healthcare, you know, individually we've been supporting, we, you use in general, have been supporting that. So what can we do even more forcefully? And um, basic income, like we, we have no social safety net because that's somehow been vilified be taking care of people and we were talking about mutual aid last week and the idea of helping people is radical which is just heartbreaking on so many levels and so what are to me it's like so what does it look like what does it look like for the UUA and for Unitarian Universalist congregations to genuinely think outside our walls and and Leslie you named some stuff imagine if our congregations all turned into food banks all of them we have a thousand um, brick and mortar congregations is my understanding. Uh, so what are some other things that you all have maybe thought of? 
So this is just a small thing and then I'll, I'll turn it over. But I, I do want to say that um, I think that we need to really think about, I, I, I just said, and I believe this strongly, that we need to be able to understand that in the give and take of community, sometimes you need help and sometimes you offer help and both of them are equally valid. I think that's really important. And um, just to complexify that a little bit, I think it's very important that we be able to think about like who needs help as also the result of structural inequities in our systems, whether that's a structural inequity in our congregational pay structure, whether it's a structural inequity in our greater society, whether it's the fact that we have disadvantaged and disempowered and abused certain groups in our in our um, in our midst, you know, certain racial and ethnic groups and other groups economically. I mean, we need to understand that. We need to understand that there are things that we haven't wanted to look at because they're too uncomfortable. You know, there's there's research coming out around why it is that, that people are, um, you know, who is really, what which young adults are vulnerable. I think it's very important for us to be looking at the, the connection between addiction, trauma, and what's happening to people. These are real things that are happening that sometimes these are issues we don't want to mess with. So I, I think that that's an important piece. And the other one that I'll mention right now that I think is important that we can't let go. And that is that these these small business rescue plans um, are really going to disadvantage a lot of the groups that we depend on, whether they're independent businesses, but also nonprofits are not really as, don't have as much access to those funds. Churches have a little bit more, but general nonprofits that we rely on to be our partners in justice making are endangered. And there, there are efforts right now to make sure that we are saying to our representatives, we want nonprofits included in those loan to grant programs. And it's really critical to do that because think about what our work for justice is going to be like without that infrastructure of critical partners that we've come to rely on. So I think that's a really important part of it. Mary? Um, one of the other things is as we think about what are we going to need to come out of our shelter at home and our stay at home places is um, testing. Can we be testing centers? How do we help to recover whatever kind of um, whatever kind of community we want to build and go back into? I think that will be that will definitely be a part of it. And the other thing is um, we really need everybody to be able to vote by mail. If you are not in a state that has vote by mail, you need to be advocating for figuring out how to make that happen for this year. My dad lives in Wisconsin and he went out and voted on Tuesday and my heart was in my throat the entire time he was out of his house. So um, this won't be gone by the fall, more than likely. Maybe we'll have better treatments. Maybe we'll have we'll be able to um, keep it so that it, the death rate is not as high as it is today, but we're going to be, this is going to be with us for a long time. So what are the ways we can be thinking ahead about what that's going to mean to us as well? And I'm thinking too about the educational disparities that Natalie brought up. Um, you know, I live in a city where um, about 40% of the population are Latino immigrants and day, day laborers and folks who are out of work. And um, it's, it's tough here. And a lot of the population in the city where I live doesn't have internet access. So the schools can't offer distance learning. And it's not that they're trying and that's only getting through to some people. They are understanding that if they do, it's gonna reach a third of their kids. So they're doing other things. Um, which means that 
you know, what educational opportunities are available are um, slim here. And the kids in this city are gonna need a lot of help catching up uh, when, when we can actually be in classrooms together. I wonder what we can do as congregations okay. with that too. Yeah, I think that we can, we can do two things. I think that we can offer tutoring, we can offer space, we can be out in the community in some way to educate people for the things they need to do in order to pass standardized tests that I don't believe in. Or we could set up alternative educational models which would better serve these communities that have been underserved or not served at all by the education that they have received. If you are receiving inadequate education online, that is not helpful to you, right? So I think it's a time for us to insert ourselves in different ways around what education is supposed to be for children who have been underserved by the system. It is, you know, just saying, I, I do not believe that we should continue to use the language that kids are being, not being educated because they are, may be educated differently in this moment. I think we should join with progressive parental groups, uh, communities of color who have de been demanding a non-standardized education for their children. I think we should say if Unitarian Universalism is about giving people critical thinking skills, then this is our time to try to do that so that people can evaluate the education that they have been getting and advocate for better education than they have been getting. We could develop education, online education that is very different than what some kids have gotten in the school system that might help them more. Uh, we could be a resource in a lot of different ways. I don't think, again, I think that continuing with things as they have been and just moving them online is not the best or only options that we should be looking at. I think that's what Unitarian, if we're, you know, our religious education has been about stepping outside of what kids have, get in other places, about not being the sixth, you know, day of, of public school, giving people, kids and their families other resources for how to learn and what to learn. And I think we should continue in that. We have, um, this is an opening for us that I hope we can walk into. Absolutely, amen. Um, I wanted to read some of the comments that are coming in um, just in our final moments together. Um, greetings from Canada to meet standardized testing, which I don't believe in, or I love that. She says, I love it and everything Natalie said next. Um, India McKnight has said, We've been building alternatives. This may look like collectives and community mutual aid and not necessarily, or perhaps not 501c3s that are limited in ways that can make change due to some legalities and deliverables from grants. Um, Darby Lockridge asked is, I need a full picture of Aisha's opinions on endowments. I hear snippets through a lot of these episodes, but can anyone point me to a full piece to read or watch? I think she's already thought my thoughts. Aisha can answer that. I don't know that she has anything ready to go. I can say um, 
there is a book called Decolonizing Wealth that talks about um, really how to look at endowments in from a liberation standpoint. Um, and Reverend Chris Long says, y'all don't even know how real this is conversation is to me right now. Hold me, please hold me in your thoughts and prayers and I'm covered in forms of community of long treasured. Really appreciate all of our comments from, from folks who are listening and viewing and clearly feeling really, really deeply um, connected to, to the conversation today. Maybe we'll do a view episode on endowments um, and whether or not they're, how, to me, I, I, I experience them as dubious, dubiously ethical when we are wanting to lead with liber, I wanna lead with liberation. I can't say we, cause I've learned uh, that not all Unitarian Universalists uh, interpret or understand liberation to be the same thing uh, that I do. So I think, I don't know how moral right now in this day and age endowments really are. There, I said it. So we're coming to the top of the hour. I wondered if any of our guests uh, didn't get to say something you want to say. I guess I would just say that we are grateful to be able to be in conversation with you throughout the spring about the work that we've been doing because, you know, it it felt, I will just tell you, it felt um, kind of arbitrary in the middle of the start of this pandemic to be working on this report. And then as I sat in that room on Monday, rereading it and doing the comments, I realized, no, this is very relevant because this is about the structural change that um, needs to happen now. And in fact, is going to have to happen. So. I think it's really critical. You know, we have democracy as one of our principles. And I think of us often as being laboratories for democracy, each of our congregations and our association. And we should be experimenting right now with ways to do this better in light of what we've experienced. Thank you for having us. Yeah, and I just wanna say, yeah, thank you as well for having us. And I look forward to the next times we'll be here talking with you more about these things. But in the interim, we all have something we can do right now that will help someone else. And we should just figure out what that is and do it. Yes. And I also thank you. Thank you to The View for keeping everybody informed and connected. I hope everybody stays well. Thank you. And we too are very excited that you're coming back. I think you'll be back in a couple of weeks. And we look forward to continued reports from you. Meanwhile, next year, next week, we'll do something exciting. I'm not sure what it is at the minute, but I know it'll be great. <laughs> it's really wonderful to be connected. Be well, all. This has been an episode of The View. If you would like to learn more about the CLF, visit questformeaning.org.